Two weeks to the end of the fiscal year, and so it's crunch time for Congress. Besides fighting over a $3.5 trillion extra spending bill and a $2.9 trillion tax hike, there's the matter of the regular old appropriations to keep the government running. For this week's Outlook, Bloomberg Government Deputy News Director Lauren Duggan. And Lauren, the agenda just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I can think of one of these uh, ladies with a hat piled with fruit on top, and there's more bananas and oranges and apples added every day. Indeed, there's so much going on right now, some of it routine business and some of it of Congress's own making, putting these major spending packages on their agenda, trying to get those across the line in the next couple of weeks. Uh, We've not seen all the members of Congress in one place for quite a while. They came back here and there. The committees met, obviously, but today's the first day the House and the Senate are back and they can look each other across Capitol Hill and figure out what they're going to do about these big issues because there's a lot on their plate and really not a lot of time to get all this. Yeah, they'll see each other and probably throw lawn darts at each other (laughs) across the Capitol Hill there. But first of all, there is the debt limit question is looming closer and closer. And again, there's a lot of cross-purpose talking about that. But what will they do, do you think? Well, the debt limit is kind of a pickle for them. Um, There's a couple of different ways they could have done it. They could have used this reconciliation process that they're using for the spending and tax plan to advance the debt limit. They could have done it with Democratic votes, but they decided not to go that route. So Democrats will need Republicans somehow to get this across the line, at least based on the procedures in place now. And Mitch McConnell made the rounds to a lot of different publications last week saying, you know, without much ambiguity, I'm not going to help them do this. If they want to increase spending and they want to do these things with taxes, they're going to have to figure out how to raise the debt limit. Democrats are pushing back on that, saying the debt that we've incurred is from all the spending packages during COVID, that it's, um, you know, a bipartisan problem. We should solve it together. But that doesn't seem to be, for the moment at least, the approach that's being taken here. Uh, The deadline for this is a little murky. The Treasury Department is using extraordinary measures, as they call them, to keep us being able to borrow and operate, even though the debt limit came into effect in August. Janet Yellen, the person in charge of that, says she thinks sometime in October is when this needs to be dealt with or the you know the government will be in some trouble. Other estimates have put it maybe into November, but that's still not very long into the future. So this is a very acute problem that needs to be dealt with in the near term. And by October, of course, we will be into the new fiscal period and the budget will either be appropriated, CR'd, or I guess there are even people talking in terms of shutdown right now. Well, the big question is, what are we going to do before September 30th? The House has on its schedule this week a continuing resolution that would fund the government um, into December, uh, which would give them a couple months to figure out what to do on some of these bigger picture items. The appropriations process has made some progress. Uh, The House passed nine of the 12 bills. The Senate committee reported three of its, um, but seems to be pausing for now. The one thing that there's not agreement on is how much to spend in total on these appropriations bills. Republicans matter here as well, because you'll need Need 60 votes to get any sort of package through the Senate. Um, so there's going to be a lot of horse trading there as they figure out how much to do there. So a continuing resolution, which is not the government's favorite way of operating, is the most likely approach here. We'll have to see if the dynamics of this particular CR will allow it to get through both chambers and on the president's desk by September 30th. And perhaps the wild card in this and in the debt ceiling is what each side decides to attach to those bills, things that are poisonous if you don't pass them and exposes 
the other side to perfidy for not voting for it because of the dagger that you embedded in there. That's correct. And the debt limit could be that type of item for Republicans, as as we've seen. So the combination of those two is attractive for Democrats because a continuing resolution is a must-pass piece of legislation. The debt limit is also must-pass in their eyes. That combination could create some difficulty. Um, And then we might also see some um, disaster aid as part of this continuing resolution because we've had a lot of wildfires and obviously the hurricanes recently. And the money for Afghanistan to help with that continuing assistance situation. We may be out of the country, but we have a lot of refugees to help deal with and relocate. So um, there's a lot that could go into this must-pass piece of legislation. Yeah, that plus a looming famine, it looks like, coming to Afghanistan, which would be not a great outcome. We're speaking with Lauren Duggan, Deputy News Director at Bloomberg Government, and the status of the National Defense Authorization Act. So we have a House and Senate version out of the committees, but neither chamber has tackled that yet. That's one of the big items the House is doing this week as it comes back into town. Uh, Both chambers have bills that would exceed the Biden administration's proposed budget for defense programs by $25 billion, which will help attract Republican support to that bill, but may cost some Democratic support. So the leaders in both chambers are going to be working through how to get those bills over the line and then figure out how to reconcile that with the spending bills that are also being written or have been written and passed through some of the chambers. So um, the NDAA will be a, a major bill on the floor this week. 800 amendments, I think, were submitted to be reconciled and brought forward through the Rules Committee. Um, they'll narrow that down and figure out what will get a vote on the House floor. But this will be a, another one of those must-pass items. Most years, that would be an even bigger highlight than it is right now. But clearly, all of that's being overshadowed by this spending and tax plan that's also being developed. And they consider the NDAA a done deal, not necessarily for September 30th, but by the end of the calendar year. They consider that on time generally? Yes, they do. I mean, there's very important provisions that's considered must pass because it authorizes pay for troops and has some important contracting authorities that the DOD needs for buying weapon systems. Um, But usually the end of the year is the target on that. It's not as important to have in place at the beginning of the fiscal year. And if you look beyond the horizon to the uh, sky here, on the hill, there seem to be two gigantic clouds that are causing lightning. And one is the recently unveiled tax package, which is already showing some fracturing on the Democratic side. Opposition is pretty uniform on the Republican side. And the infrastructure bill, which is still getting parsed. And that must be taking up a lot of the lawmakers, maybe the staff time more than the lawmakers' own time. Certainly it is. The the package that is pretty much a done deal except for the voting is that infrastructure plan that came over from the Senate in August. It's waiting for a vote in the House. They've agreed to begin considering it by September 27th, so a week from now. That's likely to go forward. Now, whether it can pass or not depends a lot on how this other package is looking. Uh, We talk a lot about a 50-50 Senate. We know that any senator there has a lot of power to block this package. Uh, Joe Manchin has been the loudest and has said he wants to bring the price tag down. But there's also Kirsten Cinema who would like a smaller package. And other members, once you start, if you get a smaller package, they're going to demand that certain things be included or their votes in jeopardy. So there's a lot to play out there. The House, though, is a very narrow majority, too. 220 to 212. If Democrats lose more than three votes on a question, they're not going to get their package through. So as we saw last week, three Democrats on a committee voted with Republicans and they had to take part of that package out because it just lacked the support to move forward. So 
Democrats have a very narrow path to maneuver. Progressives want a big, bold package. $3.5 trillion to them is a compromise. Um, they don't want to go to 2.5 or 1 to make the moderates happy. Moderates really want to vote on this infrastructure package, get it done, keep working on the other package, see what you can do with that. So those two packages are intertwined, uh, but the, the infrastructure package is much closer to being on the law books if they can get a vote, get it through the House and get it to President Biden's desk. Uh, but those two things are very much aligned and, and kind of their fates are intertwined right now. And what does the schedule look like now that they're both in session this week? Is that it until what, Thanksgiving or do they have more breaks coming up? They'll have some breaks here and there, but nothing equaling that August break that we just came out of. Um, but the House does go back to their district sometimes. And, you know, they, they'll probably have more committee work weeks where committees will turn through bills and hearings. But um, we're in the busy stretch here from now to the holidays. You know, it's going to be these big questions. Can you fund the government? Can you pass NDAA? Can you do this tax and spending package that the Democrats really want to get done? So a lot on the agenda. This is the busy season. Lauren Duggan is deputy news director at Bloomberg Government. As always, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, 
and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? 
Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.